Recording from the Sunshine City, St. Petersburg, Florida, overlooking beautiful Tampa Bay, this is the Sonography Lounge, sponsored by Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute. This podcast is dedicated to medical professionals and patients around the world interested in diagnostic and interventional ultrasound. Our podcast will discuss everything ultrasound, from news, trends, career paths, new technology, and industry updates. Hosted by Lori Green and Trisha Rio of Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, they bring over four decades of experience in the ultrasound profession and are here to guide you through this journey. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey everyone, and thank you for joining us at the Sonography Lounge, where we discuss all things ultrasound. I'm Lori Green, and I'm here with our co-host, Trisha Rio. Hey everybody! We're so happy to have you with us because we just wrapped up day four of our intro and advanced interventional and regen med MSK course at our facility right here in downtown St. Pete, Florida. And we are excited to sit down with several of our expert faculty to chat about regenerative medicine while enjoying a little happy hour with some cold beverages. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah, happy hour chat with some of our favorite people. Uh, For those who are unfamiliar, regenerative medicine is focused on developing and applying treatments that support the body in repairing, regenerating, and restoring itself to a state of well-being. Regenerative medicine is a rapidly evolving field for MSK, even though it's been around since the 1930s with prolotherapy, followed by platelet-rich plasma, or PRP, in the mid-2000s, and more recently, bone marrow and lipoaspirate applications. Regenerative medicine therapies begin with the physician making an appropriate diagnosis of the MSK condition through clinical exam and imaging and use that info to determine which regenerative therapy would be the best treatment option. That's right, Tricia. So joining us in our podcast studio today is Dr. John Broussard, board certified in family medicine and sports medicine and co-owner of Alliance Regen and Rehab right here in St. Pete, Florida. We also had Dr. Imran Siddiqui, partner and director of clinical operations at Regenerative Orthopedics and Sports Medicine in Washington, D.C., and also Dr. David Wang, founding partner and director of education and training of Regenerative Orthopedics and Sports Medicine in the Metro D.C. area. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here. So with further, without further ado, let's start things off with a discussion about prolotherapy. You know, what is it, how it helps your patients, et cetera. All right. Yeah, so thank you uh, for that great introduction. And it was a, a nice kind of summary about uh, regenerative medicine there. And so, uh, you know, the recent technologies, the, the, the advancements are, are just phenomenal. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like every other month, you know, there's a new technology that seems to be coming out and new research that's really showing, uh, for the most part, that these regenerative therapies work quite well. And so it's easy to get uh, wrapped up in, you know, the newest tech and what's the newest intraosseous application of PRP and what's the, you know, uh, newest method for uh, bone marrow extraction, things like that, which I think are all revolutionizing the field of regenerative medicine. But it's also not bad to kind of look back historically and see, okay, well, how did all this regenerative medicine start? Uh, And when you're talking about prolotherapy, uh, which is short for proliferative therapy, which is a a term that was coined, I think, back in the 1950s by Dr. George Hackett, we realized that, okay, well, prolotherapy has been around since about 1937, when the first uh, published article in The Lancet, I believe, by Dr. Earl Gedney uh, portrayed using a proliferative solution for the sacroiliac ligaments in terms of uh, improving stability in the the SI region. So this stuff's been around for, what, 80, more than 
85 years, mm -hmm. and prolotherapy is still a very you know decent, relevant, easy, minimally invasive technique uh, that can be used. And uh, a lot of it is also the not just what's in the syringe, but the actual um, technique of diagnosis and treatment. And that technique of diagnosis and treatment can be applied to not just regenerative treatments, but frankly, musculoskeletal diagnosis and treatment you know, across the board. So it's an important foundational uh, aspect of regenerative medicine, I think. Not to mention for your uh, less severe cases of you know, tendinosis, small grade partial tears, ligamentous injuries, and some uh, low grade uh, arthritis conditions. It can be very helpful uh, and doesn't require drawing blood or, you know, obtaining a, a harvesting, um, you know, uh, fat or bone marrow and that sort of thing. So it's less invasive and, uh, you know, it, it, it has its role. So. Yeah. I agree, Dr. Wang. as uh, a good uh, synopsis of prolotherapy and, and where we've come from, right, as far as regenerative medicine. I think uh, prolotherapy, uh, like you mentioned, it's a, it's a technique, not just what's in the syringe. It's not just sugar so prolotherapy is not a a product but a whole system of thinking about restoring tissue joint functions stability so um you know prolotherapy is a good learning tool a good launch pad and and like like you guys do like i do like a lot of us do is we use prolotherapy techniques mm -hmm. and carry that over mm -hmm. with our other regenerative treatments so whether we're using prp or or anything else, we're using the prolotherapy system. Like you said, it's not what's in your syringe, it's how are you using it. Absolutely. And so that whole technique about not just controlling pain, but providing stability and support mm -hmm. for that structure is, is super important. And like you said, it's, it's, it's very cost effective for the provider, for the patient, um, you know, learning and doing it in third world countries, it's super mm -hmm. easy. And, um, and the nice thing about prolotherapy is uh, when you run out, guess what? You just make more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? so, it's like Doritos. <laughs> so for, <laughs> and so for PRP, you know, you've, you get what you get. You got a blood draw, you get your PRP, and, and that's it. You, you have to really plan ahead for these treatments. And then, you know, bone marrow, same thing. You get what you get. Um, and so with prolotherapy, you finish your treatment and your tray's empty. You're like, oh, I want to hit this. Well, you just mm -hmm. reach over and grab some more and, and it's it's great, you know. So far as you know what you're doing, your needle prolotherapy is very forgiving. Mm -hmm. uh, it works very well in the everything, really. Spine, you know. You can. I like to use prolotherapy when I'm seeing a patient for the first few times, and they have a lot of stuff going on. So I tell the patients, okay, like let's pull some weeds. Let's hmm. let's get this like let's get the smoke and the clouds out of the way. Right. Let's treat all your stuff super comprehensively. Yeah, you got some bad facets and you got some stuff that we can do some PRP on, but mm -hmm. let's do some prolo, shore everything up. Once there's stuff left, then we can come in with our big biologics that mm -hmm. if you need it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how I kind of use it. I don't know, Dr. Siddiqui? Yeah, uh, no, prolotherapy is uh, it's a great place to start for both physicians who are learning and also patients. Um, it's been around for a long time, and despite these great newer treatments like PRP and bone marrow aspirate and MFAT, prolotherapy works and works on a lot of people and for a lot of conditions. And so, you know, despite it being kind of the OG and, and <laughs> the older treatment, we still use it a lot. And, uh, you know, like, like you said, uh, Dr. Broussard, um, uh, for patients with a lot of things going on, especially hypermobile patients, mm -hmm. um, it's my go-to for hypermobile patients Sorry. to start with because 
um, you need a lot of volume in, in those patients because not only do you need to treat the injured ligament or tendon, but you probably got to treat all the other ligaments and tendons in the area because everything's loose and um, they're not going to get fully better unless you tighten up that area. So um, it's a great treatment, great for comprehensive uh, cervical neck treatments, great for comprehensive low back treatments because you need a lot of volume, you need to hit a lot of structures. Um, so, so great from the patient care. And also, you know, for, for providers who are getting into this, um, it's very important that they learn prolotherapy. A lot of them, uh, they're kind of skipping over it mm-hmm. and they're going straight yeah, to right. learning the PRP Agreed. and learning. Well, PRP is sexy. It's sexy. It is. Stem cells are sexy, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. It's trendy. Yeah. Um, no one wants the 90 year old prolotherapy, right? Yeah. So, um, it's, uh, um, but but it's, it, it serves as a great basis and great foundation for learning because you use those techniques doing PRP and doing bone marrow and doing adipose. If you don't, if you don't have the good skills and the good basis um, from prolotherapy, you're not going to be as good with those other things. Totally. And to expand on, on that a little bit. By the way, I love how you're referring to uh, prolotherapy as the OG. So a regenerative <laughs> treatment instead of original gangster, I think we can call it like uh, orthobiologic glucose, right? <laughs> how about that? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, in terms of uh, this comprehensive approach, you know, just to comment a little bit on uh, tensegrity. You know, so this is a concept that uh, a lot of experienced regenerative medicine uh, docs will talk about. So tensegrity being basically tension or tensile integrity is an interesting concept where a lot of biological systems, the integrity of the system is based on their ability to uh, basically resist tension as opposed to compression. And so a common, uh, I guess, analogy for this is that a building with, you know, brick and mortar and all that is designed to resist compressive forces of gravity, right? Which is fine for a building because the building doesn't move, right? But if you have something that's a dynamic structure that has to move and there's different angles and you got to deal with gravity and you have to deal with centripetal forces, this idea of tensegrity where that structure can resist tension from multiple angles uh, is important in the overall stability of that structure. And so a draft's neck, for example, is a nice uh, example of a tensegrity structure compared to a building. And so many biological structures from the cellular level, all the way up to us as, in this case, as uh, us as human beings, are tensegrity structures. So the advantage is that you can take something very lightweight that has these tensile, uh, in, in terms of biological systems, like ligaments, tendons, fascia, these different soft tissues that are very pliable and flexible and lightweight that can resist a lot of force. But the disadvantage is that if you have a compromise or injury to uh, a part of that system, it can affect the integrity of that entire system. And so this is why in basic prolotherapy uh, concepts, you want to treat the entire system, that entire tensegrity system. So you kind of have to fix up everything to maintain integrity of that entire structure, which is why comprehensive prolotherapy is designed to treat you know multiple structures. Sometimes we're talking you know 20 or 30 structures in one sitting. Now I find that especially with the application of diagnostic ultrasound, it helps you to be much more exact where you're treating. So I find that I don't have to treat as many structures. I can use about one third the amount of solution as I used to and still get very, very good long-term results with that. But the idea of tensegrity, I I think, is something that's easily missed because you can end up kind of getting tunnel visioned with where you want to apply your your treatments. But Mm -hmm. I don't know how you folks feel about that. 100% spot on. Um, One of the things, one of the common questions that I get from patients With when we talk about prolotherapy, is they ask about their blood sugar. Was my blood sugar mm-hmm. going to increase? Mm-hmm. 
and maybe they're diabetic or maybe they're just conscious of their blood sugar. And um, what I tell them, and I can tell this confidently, is it's not going to move. And the reason I know that is because I've had a number of patients on pumps mm-hmm. and monitors and they've watched their blood sugars and it hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Same. So if anyone's out there uh, listening to this and you're considering prolotherapy but you're scared of the dextrose of the sugar, mm. you don't have to worry about it. It's not going to mess up your sugar. You're not going to have to adjust your insulin or anything like that. And I'll tell you this, the cortisone injection that yep. the other one is uh-huh. offering, that's going to raise your blood sugars a lot. But yeah, yeah. you know, 300 plus. Yeah, I've seen patients oh, in the really low 400s point, from really good yeah. cortisone. For our, yeah. for our non-physician listeners. Yeah. Well, um, that was... Yeah. I love listening to you guys talk about this stuff. It's just so fascinating. And I know. So I'm, I've been looking forward to this podcast for know. so long since you told me about so it. Much fun. To be in the same room with these guys. I mean, like, just you know. Um, yeah. This is what we used to do on a daily basis. I know. Yeah, so, yeah. Y'all, were the, y'all were three together. musketeers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stooges, musketeers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just honored to be in the same room with you guys. So, yeah. thanks. Thanks. so well, we, before we move on to PRP, um, as far as your patients go, do you um, oftentimes, is this a, a regular situation where maybe they have certain conditions and you say, well, we're going to start with prolotherapy and and this is going to get us to from point A to point B, and then it's going to segue into utilizing PRP or some other, um, you know, stem cells or whatever. Um, or is it usually that you're just pretty much depending upon the condition that they have, you've made the decision that's what you're going to do, see how the patient does, and then later down the road that you decide. Or is that something that you do like a plan of a treatment plan with the patient? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can start on that. Um, so, yeah, it, it is it is injury dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, the severity of injury that will be the thing that most significantly um, steers which biologic or regenerative treatment I'm going to be offering. But a lot of times people are in the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, they, you could treat it with prolotherapy or PRP or PRP or uh, bone marrow or, or whatever. And, and so in those situations, I have the conversation with the patient, you know, these are the two options. You'll ni- likely need, you know, three to five treatments of prolotherapy or one to two treatments of PRP and give, you know, give them the pros and cons of everything and let them decide mm-hmm. what they want, what they want to do. Um, but, uh, you know, as I touched on my hypermobile patients who have a lot going on and their joints are really loose and everything like that, definitely steer towards prolotherapy to start. Mm-hmm. Like Dr. Broussard said, you know, clean everything up, get everything functioning, functioning normally. And then if there's an injury here that hasn't healed or there that hasn't healed, then you can do PRP afterwards to yeah. kind of finish finish it off. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I approach it the same way. <clears throat> um, especially with those hypermobile patients. You, you know, we can get academic about it we can look at the research and we can say oh prp is stronger it works better well not everybody wants to have their blood drawn not everybody can financially do prp or one of these big things so you have to look at your patient and see who's in front of you and make this decision with them and for a hypermobile patient that's a patient for life like we're not fixing your hypermobility we're managing it and we're making you more functional so yeah, PRP may be more potent, but you need the volume and you need the frequency of the treatments. Mm-hmm. And so prolotherapy, I think it works fantastic for that population. Great. 
Um, you know, and like, let's say, let's say you got really bad arthritis and we want to talk, we're talking about fat or M-fat or bone marrow and we need to put something in there. I'm still doing prolotherapy. We still got to address everything outside of the joint, mm-hmm. the ligaments, the fascia, the tendons, the stuff that Dr. Wayne was talking about. So we're still incorporating some prolotherapy into the treatment plan. So it's, it's kind of always there. Yeah. And and for our listeners out here, uh, uh, hypermobility, another um, a term that you may hear is Ehrlos-Danlos syndrome. Um, hypermobility is becoming a more commonly diagnosed condition. A lot of people with fibromyalgia, we're seeing it's actually hypermobility. And basically what hypermobility is, is when your tissues are just naturally more elastic than, than uh, the norm. And um, Ehrlos-Danlos is a uh, subset of hypermobility. And as it's becoming more popular, a lot of providers are calling all hypermobility Ehrlos-Danlos. So it can get confusing. So if you hear hypermobility and Ehrlos-Danlos for now, until we sort this thing out, um, they're pretty much the same. It's a continuum. Uh, yeah. It's a continuum. Yeah. yeah, there there are, was it six subtypes or something like that of Ehrlos-Danlos? I think type three is the hypermobility only subset where you don't have effects on the heart because there are other uh, aspects of Ehrlos-Danlos that can affect your cardiac or heart function and that sort of thing. There are methods of genetic testing and it gets pretty sophisticated and that's not something that um, I'm not intimately familiar with. But I think the idea in terms of you know having these patients for life, the idea is that the connective tissue, so the collagen fibers that make up that connective tissue um, are, as Dr. Siddiqui was saying, they're, they're more elastic. And it is almost like a, on a cellular level, um, something that is, uh, you know, kind of uh, for that individual, it affects all of their, their collagen tissues. Uh, and so you can f- temporarily fix them with things like regenerative therapies and really get those elastic structures to become more solid, more stable. But because of that cell turnover and that collagen, um, just from that you know, kind of uh, uh, biological basis, eventually those collagen fibers will become more elastic again and then their symptoms can return. So unfortunately, you do have to treat them kind of longitudinally. But a lot of times I find that with the regenerative treatments, they'll be good for, you know, six to 12 months if, uh, in some cases. Mm-hmm. And it can affect multiple joints. And so sometimes some joints are more heavily affected than others. Mm-hmm. But the regenerative therapies are one of the few things that can really get uh, these folks lasting benefit, uh, even though you do have to do them, you know, longitudinally. Uh, it really improves their quality of life uh, yeah. quite a bit. Wow. And I'm just, I'm just thinking of a patient um, who I had with very bad hypermobility. <clears throat> this is when I was with you guys. This girl literally could not walk through water, even a few inches of water, without her toes dislocating. Oh, wow. Oh it was gosh. that bad. Wow. So we treated her with prolotherapy. Uh, cost-effective, dextrose-based prolotherapy, and her toes are fine. So, you know, there's, there's a, you know, with all these sexy um, regenerative treatments out there, these stem cell clinics popping up, especially here in Florida, yeah. they're outnumbering Starbucks by now. <laughs> Um, that same something. I mean, you don't True. you don't need crazy expensive multi thousand dollar treatments. All you need is someone who knows what they're treating mm-hmm. and how to manipulate a needle and functionally to help your tissues. And you can do that with sugar, dextrose. Hundred percent right. A, a dextrose uh, treatment by a skilled provider done to you know a comprehensive treatment to mm-hmm. the knee joints so you, you do the ligaments you do the capsule you do the tendons you do 
you do the joint, um, that is is ten times more valuable mm. than a stem cell ten thousand dollar stem cell treatment where they just put it in the knee. Yep, exactly. They just put it in the knee joint, and that's what you see is going on with 100%. all these stem cell clinics. Is they're going in, they don't know what they're doing. They're 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 creating these stem cells properly because they have the guidance of of uh, industry. Um, but then they're just dumping it in the joint and saying we treated your knee, and yeah, maybe forty percent will get better, maybe half, but but for how long? And and they're not fixing the the functional dif- uh, problems, and they're not fixing the ligaments and supporting structures. Mm-hmm. And so that you know it's it's going to catch up, and these you know it's not sustainable for people mm-hmm. to be paying that kind of money Absolutely. for these treatments. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's Absolutely. the difference between the profitability and the managing patients' mm-hmm. care Correct. and giving them the best outcome. So, Dr. Wang, I have a question for you. Uh Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You're well equipped. Um, (laughs) So, there is... I was going to comment on that further, but... (laughs) Oh, please do. (laughs) So, there there is a misconception out there, probably from old school providers passed down to patients... And it scares some patients that they don't want prolotherapy because it causes scar tissue. Uh, yep. Can you speak to that? Right. And so, sure. How that came about and what's actually really going on. Yep. So, as we mentioned before, so prolotherapy or the uh, concept of uh, the technique of prolotherapy was first introduced around 1937. But the term prolotherapy was not coined until the mid 1950s uh, by uh, Dr. Hackett. Between 1937 and 1950s, it was called sclerotherapy, right? Because back then it was felt that you're injecting these irritating solutions and dextrose was, I think, not really on the uh, radar at that time. They were using more caustic solutions and such. And they were thinking that it was causing like scar tissue buildup. And one of the reasons for that is because originally sclerotherapy was being used for uh, treating uh, uh, inguinal hernias. Mm. And they actually were encouraging scar tissue development in order to scar that area down to be able to keep that hernia from actually protruding protruding through, right? But the problem is that they were taking that concept and applying it to a prolotherapy treatment of like ligaments and tendons and all that. And they, uh, from, there were histologic studies done in, in the 1950s that showed that that was not the case, that it was actually creating the repair of healthy tissue. This was done in rabbit tendons, I believe it was. And then this was followed up by multiple studies through the 70s. And then when ultrasound was being used for diagnostic uh, purposes, then there were more recent studies like uh, Brad Fullerton's study from 2008, for example, is a, is a very key study where you could uh, demonstrate the uh, return of normal organized collagen fibers and body tissues after dextrose prolotherapy that had nothing to do with scar development, right? So I think that unfortunately that idea of scar tissue development was kind of an erroneous thing from the 1940s that had been um, basically debunked, uh, it has been debunked for many decades now. Cool. See, I told you. I'm well equipped. He is well equipped. <laughs> just, where do you keep all of that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. You know, something I though I, that, that I would like to uh, uh, mention, so, you know, being, being the old guy in the room here, it, it's so interesting how things will, will come full circle with this. So when I started my practice, and we were the second academic institution to do PRP, this is back in 2006, I think. Uh, when I was in uh, my residency up at uh, Harvard uh, Spalding, uh, where Dr. Siddiqui also uh, trained. And I used to do more PRP back then 
uh, because it was, you know, we, we had good access to it. It was very effective. And then as I found, as I developed my skills, both in diagnostic, especially in diagnostic ultrasound, but also just in, you know, basic uh, clinical, you know, acumen, I found that I could get this the same types of folks better with just a couple of prolotherapy treatments. So as my skills improved, I was doing less PRP and more prolotherapy. But then after, I don't know, another decade, it's starting to come around the other way where I'm realizing that PRP in many cases ultimately is actually a more cost-effective approach. It is more expensive. It's, it's higher technology. However, it's a good three times more powerful than prolotherapy. So I'm finding with some of these conditions in my more chronic, my, my patients with the you know, chronic musculoskeletal issues, that just doing the prolotherapy repetitively, it doesn't quite get them over that critical mass of healing. But if I apply just one or two PRP treatments, it's like that seems to be like the magic thing and they seem to do a lot better. So even my patients that have these chronic conditions, multiple body areas, they've done well with prolotherapy, but it's like they, they're always somewhat symptomatic. I treat them with PRP and then now they're like, you know what, Dr. Wang, you know, I really like the prolotherapy, but the PRP is just a lot better. And yeah. they need fewer treatments and overall cost is actually lower because they don't need as many treatments. So it's an interesting balance to strike, right? Yes. Between the lower yeah. cost prolotherapy, but you need more treatments versus maybe just one or two PRP treatments, fewer visits, less time off of work for them, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this give and take. With yeah, them. and that's where the relationship with the patient comes in. Mm. Right. And it's relational and not transactional. Mm -hmm. Correct. And you figure out, Yep. What do you need from me right now? And what are your goals? And what can we do to get there? If somebody's traveling two hours to come see us. I'm not doing prolotherapy, right? We're doing PRP. Right. I'm not going to make you come two hours every month for the next six months. Right. We're going to do PRP and, and hammer this thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if someone lives down the street and they want to do prolo, yeah. Yeah. And often, to, to your point, Dr. Wang, is... Um, you know, those patients who are getting the prolotherapy, they're getting better. There's often, you know, a couple spots that totally. just aren't responding as yep. well. They're just more significantly injured. And, Absolutely. And then that's what's driving the, the uh, maladaptive biomechanics that's putting more stress on everything else and why they keep on having to do repetitive prolotherapy. And then if you treat those specific spots, you can do everything with the PRP, but making sure you treat those specific spots with the PRP, they turn the corner mm -hmm. and then everything else falls in place. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. Well, you guys have kind of segued for right, us, perfectly. which is great. <laughs> um, so we're talking about PRP. So for maybe our listeners who don't know what that is, can you kind of elaborate on what that is, what it's used for, why it's indicated in certain situations, and what is the importance of ultrasound guidance? Right. I'll take it. Yeah, go for so, it. So PRP, platelet-rich plasma. So um, in our plasma, in our blood, we have multiple components, red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets. Uh, platelets, along with some other compounds and proteins, are what rush to the surface of your skin when you cut yourself, form a scab, allow the tissue to heal underneath. Uh, so we take those platelets that are rich in various growth factors, and we concentrate those platelets and we use, and we inject that into damaged tissue that uh, facilitate healing. So we are in the United States where we have pretty much anything we want, whenever we want, one of those things being anti-inflammatories, hurt yourself, sprain your ankle, what do you do? Pop a bunch of Advil, what does that do? That stops the inflammatory process of all of these good nutrients rushing to the area to repair tissue. Mm -hmm. 
we need inflammation. We need to go through the process of all the inflammatory phases to allow tissue repair. So the nice thing about Prolo, PRP, whatever, we're taking your body back through that injured phase, reinitiating inflammation, giving your body the constituents that it needs with the growth factors to support the healing phase. Ultrasound guidance has, I mean, it has totally transformed my practice. I learned how to do prolotherapy, palpation-guided, through the Hackett Hemwall Foundation with Dr. Wang as my fearless leader. And, um, and uh, I got pretty good at it, you know, palpation-based. And then with the addition of ultrasound, I actually got to see a lot I got to see what I'm injecting. Also, it also put a little healthy fear in me mm-hmm. because I got to see how close I was to some bad stuff when we were injecting. <laughs> and um, <laughs> well, bad in as if you hit it bad. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, so not only does it increase your accuracy, so you're you're safer, but you're also going to help the patient more because now you can quantify this tissue. And so we can prolo things all day long, palpation-based, but if we don't know what we're actually treating, they're not going to get better. Like, oh, doc, you know, we've been doing prolotherapy here for about a year now to the same spot, and I'm not getting better. Should we get an image? And then there's like a huge tear. So maybe prolotherapy might not have been a good option, right? Maybe we need to put something more powerful in there. So ultrasound has helped me in that aspect. From the get-go, and I tell patients and other providers that we help teach, um, even this week, you know, they ask about the ultrasound, and do you have them come back? I'm like, no. When I get there in the morning, I turn my ultrasound on, and it's an extension of my physical exam. I want to know exactly what you're dealing with right now, so we can come up with a game plan. Um, so it's it's like a vital sign, you know, it's part of our physical exam. Yeah. Without that, I'm going blind, and you're not getting better, and. So yeah, accuracy, safety, best outcomes. Yeah. Can you do a lot of what we do without ultrasound? Yes. Uh, can you do it to the same level and the same degree of accuracy and same degree of benefit for our patients? Absolutely not. Um, ultrasound, it's now it's a standard of care. Um, it is in Canada. They're moving mm-hmm. towards it. And in, yep. in the next uh-huh. couple of years, you That's won't right. be able to do injections without ultrasound. It's already yeah. starting. And there's yeah. a reason for that oh. uh, because of the accuracy. Studies show that they took um, uh, uh, orthopedic surgeons with at least five years of, of clinical experience using their traditional palpation-based, quote-unquote, blind injections versus a first or second-year resident, I can't remember, um, this was a study, first and second year residents with one month, just one month of ultrasound training doing, and they went head to head on injection accuracy, um, injecting with a little bit of dye and then doing a, a CT scan or x-ray afterwards to see accuracy. And, and the, the uh, one month trainees with one month of ultrasound uh, training uh, completely blew out of the water the orthopedic surgeons with five plus years of, of, wow. of experience. Um, the only thing that came close, I think, was the knee which mm-hmm. was about uh, well, like 90%, about 85, 90% accurate with the palpation-based. It was 99 with the ultrasound. Um, but like the elbow was like 50, 60% with, with palpation-based. And still everything, everything was above 90% for, mm-hmm. the, um, for the ultrasound guidance. So, 
So I mean that, and there's multi, that type of study has been reproduced over and over Correct. and over again. So it's it's the gold standard. It, everyone should be doing it. If you're not doing it, you're not treating your patients properly. Um, so Dr. Siddiqui, if um, I'm a patient of yours, and we're talking about uh, bone marrow or MFAT with some stem cell and other mm -hmm. you know, healing factors, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I trust you, and I'm farking up a lot of cash for this. And you tell me that I can, with about 50 to 80 percent accuracy, that I'm going to get this in the joint. <laughs> That's not good enough for me. <laughs> It's not good enough for anybody. 80% so, on the high side. Yeah. Right. 80%. If you tell me about, there's about an 80% chance that your $5,000 is going in your knee. <laughs> right, I'm not gonna, okay with that. We're going to go through all the rig and roll. We're going <laughs> to numb up your skin. We're going to numb up your fat. We're going to spend half an hour taking out your fat. We're going to process yeah. it. We're going to use the right anesthetic so we don't kill the stem cells. And then we're not going to use ultrasound and pray that it gets right. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a flawed system, and it's and it's you know it's Same. people trying to do things that are sexy, right? That they're just not apt and well trained to do. So they need to come down here to Gulf Coast That's and get right. trained up yeah. and do it right. Absolutely, come join us. No shortcuts. No right, shortcuts. you got to make the commitment. If you're going to no do it right, yeah. then do it right. Do it right. Yeah. And you're going to have to invest in the right equipment mm -hmm. and the training mm -hmm. so that you provide the best service to your patients and they're going to get the best outcomes and your patients then will come back to you. But isn't it nice to be able to see the anatomy, not just where you're looking to, to do an aspiration or injection, but also the surrounding anatomy. Mm -hmm. There might be yes. anatomical variations, mm -hmm. blood vessels going where they don't normally go, yes. nerves, yes. nerves, yeah. nerves yeah. things Absolutely. like that. Yeah, it can that could be devastating, right? Not everybody reads the anatomy books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's patients variants. are different. And there's variants. Exactly. And and I get patients not uncommonly, and it's becoming more and more frequent. They say, oh well, I, I they they come in with an injury that they've had for three four years. And they say, I've already tried PRP. So the first question I ask is, okay, it's very who, who, who did it? Then I ask, did they use ultrasound guidance? If they say no, then I say, we're not sure if you got PRP. You, some, they may have put your PRP somewhere, but I don't know if it went in the injury. Most likely right. it didn't. Right. And then the third thing I ask is, is you know, you know, do you know what kind of either kit or everything that they mm -hmm. use? Because there's a mm -hmm. wide range of quality of PRP and and that's even among these these uh, popular brands, um, you know, uh, and and that even bleeds into the research. There are a lot of articles that have been written um, uh, that are that are negative to PRP. And when you look in the in the nitty gritty details, the PRP kits they use actually don't create PRP. They right. create just whole blood, pretty much like one to two times X of of your normal platelet concentration, which is not PRP, that is normal platelet concentration. Right. And so um, we've we've seen and and over and over again that platelet dose matters, and the higher dose up to a, a, a very high threshold, but a certain threshold, is more beneficial. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get to that five, six, six to eight times X, you're not getting a good PRP treatment. Mm -hmm. So when those patients come to me, I say, well, you may have gotten something, but you didn't get PRP where it needed to go. So we often have to do it again. Absolutely. That, that actually ties into making sure from the physician standpoint that if you're going to be offering that service and you're, you need to invest in the equipment, you need to invest in the training, but you also need to invest in the time to learn about these things because a lot of 
physicians probably aren't aware of that, that there are differences right. between kits and yeah. so forth. Yeah. So and unfortunately, the, the, um, the industry and the, the, um, you know, the manufacturers and, and you know, those who are selling the devices are doing a lot of the education for these individual practices, Correct. right? And, and you're getting skewed information because they're trying to sell you a product. Um, you know, they're invested in getting the patient better, but that's not their primary outcome. Their primary outcome is to sell the product. Right. So, yep. so we have to take that education out of those hands and make sure they're getting it from, from the leaders in the field. Right. Yeah. And how much training have they had? Right. You know, I've, I've seen reps that. who've had two. They're like, hey, I ask them how they're two doing. Weeks. Like, yeah, I've been here for two months. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You're like, oh, yeah. you, ask them, you ask them a technical question. They're like, oh, let me get back to you on that. That's right. right. Yeah. So one, one thing that I, like you said, and I, that's very common here, actually, mm. is uh, we get patients who they've had PRP or they've had stem cells or whatever they want to call it. And it didn't work for them. And I'm same thing. Who did it? Because we, you know, we're we're at the top of the game. We know people around the country. Who did it? And if I don't know the guy, I'm looking him up. And um, you know, what I tell people is, in residency, or you know, they'll ask, well, you know, how long did you have to go to med school to learn this? Like. You don't learn this in med school. No. You don't learn this in residency. No. Like, we touched on it on fellowship. But what they teach you in med school and residency is how to inject cortisone into a joint and a bursa. So you want to get into the PRP world. And it's a little bit more than just switching out what's in your syringe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any, like, I can teach a monkey how to find your joint. <laughs> yeah. But it, again, it goes back full circle. It's the whole, right. it's the organ system. What are we doing with the stuff that's in our syringe? Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. You got to put it in the right spot. And also cortisone. Like if you're using cortisone, you can be sloppy with it. Cortisone has a very regional effect, right? right? You can inject it near the structure, kind of near the structure, some in, some out. You can inject it. Heck, you can inject it in a muscle. You can inject it in your glute muscle, your glute in muscle. your migraine. Goes away. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, that's right. so cortisone's your really back powerful. Feels better for, for a week. For yeah. Yeah. Like, it's true. Yeah. For better, for worse, it's really powerful. You can put it anywhere, and it's going to help. So, so you know that's why a lot of you know people who've been working with cortisone, they don't have to be precise with their injections because it still works. Yeah. But for our stuff, mm-hmm. if you want it to work and you want it to work well and you want your patients to have good outcomes, it has to be extremely precise. What did you say, Dave, in your lecture today? 0.2, what, 0.02 millimeter, millimeter 0.2 millimeter? Approximately, yeah, point, 0.2 millimeter accuracy with ultrasound. Mil- yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you need that. You yeah. need that accuracy. You need it. The yeah. stuff we can see on ultrasound, oh, right? people bring their MRIs in. Well, my shoulder hurts or whatever body part. My x-ray was negative. My MRI was negative. Mm-hmm. What are you going to find with that thing? Well, let's see. Yep. Why didn't my doctor do that? I don't know. Go ask him. Know. Right. Right. <laughs> right? So, or her. So, so to comment a couple of comments. So, I I, I love that this this very important fact that cortisone has this kind of regional effect or even systemic effect. Now, granted, if you do you know a cortisone injection in the gluteals and it helps with migraines. Is it even more effective if the person has their head up their rear? And I, I wonder if there's like a you know scale there in terms of effectiveness, but you know we won't go into that. That's so asinine of you. Well, <laughs> well I just you know I like to be the butt of my own joke. You know? uh, but uh, two things that I'd like to bring up: one being the 
paradigm shift with regenerative medicine and then the second being the paradigm shift with ultrasound diagnostic ultrasound very fascinating so when i went through my training uh you know so harvard trained conventional traditional very good musculoskeletal training uh -huh. and you learn your basics i learned a little bit of regenerative medicine at the time because Dr. Joanne Borgstein, who was uh, heading up the outpatient uh, MSK program, was really getting into some of the uh, ultrasound, diagnostic ultrasound and PRP, so she's been a fantastic mentor. Uh, but uh, we were one of the few facilities to do that. And when people talk about regenerative medicine, unfortunately, as we had touched on before, many times they will take regenerative medicine products and solutions and sort of stick that into the paradigm of traditional orthopedics, right? Mm -hmm. So they're taking that square peg, trying to put it in the round hole, and they're just taking that PRP and they're just sticking into the joint, where they're mm -hmm. taking that, you know, BMAC and just sticking into the joint, and they're not thinking at all about tensegrity, not thinking at all about the comprehensive nature of musculoskeletal structures. And so the training in regenerative medicine, I think, was very helpful to expand, you know, uh, our horizons with regards to, oh, What's this iliolumbar ligament? Oh, you can get sprains on that? Oh, hey, you can treat that with regenerative medicine. It can help their back pain? Wonderful. Then on top of that, you bring on diagnostic ultrasound. And again, big paradigm shift. So here I am thinking I knew some stuff, right? Because I had very good quality prolotherapy training. I probably learned how to inject 200-something structures, right, in my training. I thought I knew some stuff. Well, then I started doing diagnostic ultrasound. <laughs> I hated that machine for like the first two years because it slows you down. We had that old green beast, that old BK, oh, you know, wow. the, the, the machine's like this big and then the screen's like, like this, right? And it's very grainy. You don't know what you're looking at. And we struggled with that thing for a couple of years. And it felt like I didn't know what I was doing. But the more I used the ultrasound, the more I realized, number one, it is extraordinarily helpful and effective for targeting the conventional orthopedic type things, right? You see your partial supraspinatus tear, great. You can see it on sub-millimeter accuracy and really get it into that little partial tear. Yeah. But even more importantly, there was another paradigm shift where now I'm able to see things and treat things that even with high-level regenerative medicine prolotherapy training and high-level basic orthopedic conventional training, you know, uh, aside from that, now there's things that I can see, like for example, these fascial micro tears that are literally a quarter of a millimeter thick. There's no way to be able to diagnose them otherwise. You can't even diagnose them through palpation. There's no way you're gonna see it on MRI, CT scan, they're invisible. But on ultrasound, you can see them. Not only can you see them, but now you can treat them with that accuracy of 0.2 millimeters. Now this opens up, again, an entire new treasure trove of things that you can identify and treat effectively. In folks that have tried other treatments, mm -hmm. even advanced regenerative medicine treatments, and they didn't quite get fully better, now we can use the diagnostic ultrasound and, and really identify those things. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So we all do the same stuff. We're changing the game in orthopedics and sports medicine. And we have a lot of highs in our day, right? There's a couple of lows, but there's a lot of highs. And one of my favorite points, one of my best points in my day, is when someone comes in with some vague pain, maybe chronic, they've seen a lot of people, and we find that little spot and we put a needle in it and ah, oh, that's my spot. That's my pain, you found it. What is it? Mm -hmm. yeah. that's, my, that's the best. You did that for me. It's I like- I had that tiny little tear. MRIs are normal. Why didn't anybody else find it? You proloed it. Because we have high yeah. resolution ultrasound yeah. with our exam, yeah. our knowledge of anatomy. You find that little spot and then you change somebody's world mm -hmm. and you know what's coming next. 
And then my next best thing is when they come back and say, I can play with my grandkids now. Mm -hmm. You fixed my pain. And like, mm -hmm. yeah. But Aww. it's just great. Because you see where you You go. can see. I have a question. Mm -hmm. You guys hit on briefly cortisone, and I know a lot of people out there. I hear them say, I'm just going to go get a cortisone injection. Mm -hmm. So why are we introducing different treatments? Like, what is the difference between cortisone and prolotherapy and PRP? Oh, that's easy. I can take that one. Yeah. Can I take that one? <laughs> yes. All right. So the reason that we're introducing these treatment options is because we don't work for insurance companies. Right. <laughs> and um, that's the bottom line. So we want what's best for our patients. Traditionally, if you look at diagnosis, and we talked about this earlier this week, if you look at diagnosis codes, like over decades, mm -hmm. you see rises and falls of diagnosis codes and procedures that are being done. Are the diagnoses going away? No. They're just not being reimbursed anymore by the insurance companies. Are the procedures not good enough anymore? These nerve blocks not working? Of course they're working, but the insurance doesn't pay for them anymore. So you start to see diagnoses rise when insurance reimburses well for these diagnoses and these procedures. And and that's kind of how medicine works. And you have all these cartisones and um, you know hyaluronic acid and surgeries, and that's about it. So we have a bigger toolbox that we operate out of, regardless of who is telling us what to do and what not to do based on reimbursement codes. We work for our patients, not the insurance companies. And, uh, and on, a, on a granular level, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's a shame that in whoever's sitting up there in the, you know, 200, the control panel. 200th floor of the, the <laughs> building making these decisions. But the C-suite. Unfortunately, <laughs> they are. Quarter zone, eh? And um, we're kind of at the mercy. And there's so many layers of bureaucracy, right? It's like, you know, the, the business that you work for most often, if it's private health insurance, selects the insurance based on most often cost, mm -hmm. right? Because it's damn expensive. And then they aren't really looking at what's what's covered and what what's not what is, and then uh, the patient just knows that they have this insurance and they are they're injured or hurt and they assume you can do everything you can to fix it under that insurance and unfortunately you can't these days. Um, that's becoming the norm in all specialties, more so um, not just ours, but also on a granular level, cortisone is is a it's a natural hormone in our body. Um, that does does a lot of different things, but one thing is it's anti-inflammatory. Um, and we give super therapeutic doses when you need to do a cortisone shot, like a thousand times mm -hmm. the normal body's concentration. Yep. And so basically what it does, it's, you know, I think of it as like the napalm. You're just getting rid of every inflammatory molecule, good, bad, ugly, everyone, all they're all gone. And so people feel better on cortisone. That's one reason why it's used and why, why it continues to be used. But as you see in the movies, when people get a cortisone shot and then they continue to play on it, they, you know, tear their ACL or whatever, the, you know, these cortisone shots are just masking pain and masking injuries. They aren't actually fixing anything. Um, so, you know, you're masking the pain and then you're going out continuing to play on it. You're doing more damage to it. And, and on top of that, more and more research is showing that the cortisone itself has negative effects specifically on cartilage and ligaments and tendons. It kills cells mm -hmm. at those super therapeutic thousand time dosages. And so on top of that, you're weakening the tissues even more. 
And so, you know, the traditional orthopedic model for, for the vast majority of conditions is, you know, you do some physical therapy, if that doesn't work, cortisone shots until everything's damaged enough that you need surgery. And that's, that's for joint replacements, that's for tendon injuries, and that's everything. And so, um, and it's this cycle over and over again, what we're trying to do is stop that. Let's prevent the surgery. Let's right. prevent needing to take a year off to recover from this. Let's fix the, the ligaments, the tendons. Let's fix your biomechanics, go see a good physical therapist, uh, and let's re- rehabilitate the entire body. Yeah. The, the irony of that is that more and more research is showing that application and exposure to cortisone accelerates degeneration of both cartilage and joint as well as soft tissue. So you've got these uh, you know, uh, practitioners that are doing these in cortisone injections and they say, okay, we'll keep doing this until you need the joint replacement. Mm-hmm. But it's actually accelerating the timeline to get the joint replacement because yeah. you're causing that additional degeneration. Put you in the express lane. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And one way that I like to put it is that the reason that cortisone can work well for pain and inflammation is that it reduces cell metabolism, right? So by reducing cell metabolism, it reduces the release of those inflammatory mediators. So it does reduce pain. But when you reduce cell metabolism, you also reduce the cell's ability to maintain the structure that it's responsible for. So if it's a cartilage cell, then the cartilage degenerates. If it's a tendon cell, then the tendon degenerates. And so those tissues will degenerate faster. And regenerative therapies are actually the opposite of that, right? We're actually promoting metabolism. We're increasing that cell metabolism so that you can get that release of the necessary growth factors to repair the collagen and other damaged structures. So in essence, we're doing the opposite of what cortisone does in order to repair Mm -hmm. these tissues. On that note, (laughs) regenerative and versus degenerative medicine, Mm -hmm. um, how about these patients who they they listen to their physician because they trust them, Mm -hmm. as they should, but as many physicians uh, as a whole, we've done a disservice to our patients. But <clears throat> these patients maybe have migraines, um, typically migraines. Let's go with migraines. And their doctor is doing Botox to treat their migraines or other mm-hmm. you know, physical ailments. For me, that's degenerative medicine. Yes, you're controlling you're masking the problem but how about if we instead of paralyzing the muscle we fix the enthesis of the muscle which is where the tendon attaches to the bone and we heal that tissue and then the muscle stops screaming and then we don't need degenerative medicine (laughs) cortisone botox etc I don't know. Thoughts about that? No, absolutely. And and yeah, I do use Botox in my practice, but it's a it's it has a, its place. It's a last line. Yeah, it has it's its, place. it's if we've tried to fix everything else, and we can't for whatever reason get this muscle to turn yeah. turn off. And it's whatever if they have uh, a neurologic disorder. It's usually a neurologic mm-hmm. disorder that that causes it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. We see too often that that you know practitioners are jumping to Botox for migraines or muscle spasm anywhere when a lot of the time that's the downstream effect of a primary injury somewhere else. And you have to do your due diligence and look for that primary injury because, you know, 
Botox for insurance companies too. Botox is expensive, mm -hmm. and you need it every three months. Yeah. Um, so, and and it's also not healthy for the muscles. If you look at mm -hmm. muscles that have had Botox over a long period of time, they're fibrotic. Yep. It's full of scar tissue. They're thin. They're weak. Like it, it, once they're in that situation, they can never rehabilitate back to their norm. They're on Botox for the rest of their life. Yep. So. Um, um, while I use it, like I said, I use it sparringly and only as a last resort when, when we've exhausted everything else. Yeah, I agree. And um, with those muscles looking like trash with Botox, how about people with spine pain who just love their RFAs? Mm -hmm. Let's just burn the nerve to cut the signal to your pain. What happens in those situations? Well, so so what Dr. Sard, for those who are listening, is, is talking about is they, for um, people who are having pain in their spine um, that's localized to the joints in the back of the spine, um, there are these nerves that, that um, provide sensation to that and only sensation to those areas. And so if you're having pain in that area, they're the primary nerve causing, uh, that's relaying that pain signal to your brain. And so what the traditional pain management treatment is, is you go in and you burn that nerve. Um, and it seems, seems like a decent idea on the surface. Pain's gone. Uh, pain's gone. Um, and it's gone for two or three years, but the nerve will grow back and you gotta do it again. But every time you go in and burn that nerve, you're creating more and more scar tissue. And, and at the same time, it's been shown that, you know, it, it causes um, that these nerves may not be all sensory. There may be some motor function to them, and that you get atrophy of the paraspinal muscles, which are the exact muscles that you're trying to rehabilitate in physical therapy for back pain, which has been shown to be beneficial. Yep. Yeah. So you know you're you're decreasing the pain. It's kind of kind of like a you know cortisone shot 2.0, right? You're mortgaging your future to to get a um, a pain benefit right now. And right. Dr. Siddiqui, are you telling me that uh, RFA could be a also an express lane treatment option to back surgery? Oh, absolutely. So who wants that? No. Uh, everyone, everyone who performs back surgery. <laughs> there it is. So we, we so, talked a lot about, you know, pros and cons of these treatments and who's doing them, who's not doing them, who should be doing them, who should not be doing them. Who, what kind of questions can we ask potential doctors who are doing these treatments to vet them, Dr. Wang, who, what can I ask you if I'm interested in prolotherapy, PRP, as a patient, as a patient, and I'm calling your office, what kind of questions should I be asking? You know, I think that the devil's in the details, right? I mean, we spent some time during this podcast talking about the importance of quality of training, making sure that the practitioner truly has an understanding of what's going on. I think that's one of the difficulties about regenerative medicine is that it's a little bit like the wild, wild west. There's not, there isn't sufficient oversight really in these technologies. The technologies, some of them are very great technologies that are gonna help a lot of people, but it's a very low barrier to entry, right? Uh, you know, a product uh, representative just basically has to show up at the practitioner's door and say, hey, you know, it, we got a package deal today. If you get, you know, six uh, packs of this particular orthobiologic, then, you know, we'll give you the seventh one free or whatever. And they send you these little tubes of growth factors. Next thing you know, you're doing stem cell treatments 
which really aren't stem cell treatments. So it's a very low barrier to entry. There's no you know, qualifications per se that you have to have. And the marketing is very intensive for these types of practices, as you know, right? And so I think the number one thing is to understand what is the experience level of the practitioner and how do they kind of go about doing what they do? Like, for example, an important thing is, are there patients that they will consider as not being good candidates for regenerative medicine? And how do they figure that out? If everybody's a regenerative medicine candidate, then they're not necessarily doing their due diligence for proper diagnostics. Mm -hmm. And so I do tell people, like one important consideration is, uh, uh, you know, patients will ask potential docs, okay, well, how many of this procedure have you done, right? If you're getting a surgery, well, how many of those gallbladder extractions have you done, right? How many of these, in this case, PRP yeah. treatments have you done? Yeah. How many stem cell treatments and so on? And people have the tendency to think that docs that perform the most procedures are the most experienced and therefore are the best docs to see. But that's not necessarily the case, right? I would prefer to see the doc that hasn't done 20,000 PRPs. I'd rather see the doc that's done maybe 5,000 PRPs. They've done plenty of PRPs to be experienced, but they're not doing PRP on every single person that walks through the door, right? And I've right. seen this happen where docs that have done something like 20,000 PRPs, they PRP everybody, they get a lot of failures, and those failures, unfortunately, they come to our office, right? Mm -hmm. And then you see the lack of diagnostic thinking, mm -hmm. you know, that yeah. they go through. Mm -hmm. So you have to ask the right questions to make sure that that doc is thinking critically about your case and that they really care about you and care about getting you better for hopefully in the most cost-effective way, right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I gotta say like right off the bat, like so from a patient perspective, I've seen as far as red flags, you gotta watch out for. Luncheons, there's, I've been to one before <laughs> where, uh, you know, I was actually looking for instructors. You know, we, we went around and we go, we went to a luncheon and they basically promised the world to a room of elderly folk. Mm. And they said, blah, 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 this is what we're gonna do. And then they had a number of people come in and uh, basically prove that they could walk again and say, oh my God, after two weeks, I was going up flights of stairs and I had been immobile. For, for years right. and yeah. it was gonna be about $10,000. You know, you would put up front at this luncheon, you would put your down payment. And I was like, this is not right. And I was talking to the directors and I was like, do you guys use ultrasound guidance, asking questions? No, they didn't. And they were using some, some questionable products. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. that was a pretty scary thing. Then there was another time where I, um, I have friends that have gone to facilities and they went for one evaluation and they were told, you, right off the bat, you need 12 treatments wow. at a dollar amount. I was like, you need wow. for PRP. And I was like, this is just, it's for PRP. I would call that the dirty you dozen remember right there. Kim? <laughs> what did they say to Kim? I've seen that. You've got to do X amount of... I'm yeah. pretty sure we got That's her crazy. very happy in three or less treatments. Three or less I treatments. think it was one she was feeling. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Or they'll say, well, we're going to try the PRP uh, or prolotherapy. It's a 50-50 chance you'll be you'll be able That doesn't to work do well. for surgery. And yeah. if that doesn't yeah. work, we'll have to, we'll, you know, we'll at least we tried yeah. the non-invasive, and then we'll have to do surgery. Do they yeah. use ultrasound yeah. guidance? Mm. Nah. So one of no, the they <laughs> want it. They want it not to work. That's yeah. part of their business yeah. model. Yeah. There are folks. Yeah. Right. There, right. there, there are folks in our area too. I'll show you. It doesn't work. 
You know, yeah. pay, pay me a thousand dollars. We'll we'll, right. we'll, we'll, prove, it. we'll prove it. We'll prove it. We'll I'm doing surgery on you anyway. You might as well get some cash. Give me some money to prove it. It's sad. I mean, there's always going to be, you know, the that situation out there. We have plenty of orthopedic and sports medicine um, physicians that are here at our class and they're doing mm-hmm. it the right way yeah. and they've invested yeah. the time and 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 uh, they're purchasing the equipment investing the time and they want to do it right but I think it's really this is uh, definitely a good discussion because most most people that of the patients they aren't aware of they're even not. Not. the different types of treatment options that are available they don't really understand the value of utilizing ultrasound guidance and they don't know the questions to ask and they're just going to their orthopedic or whoever you know their primary care may have referred them to someone and and they're just going in with the trust you're a doctor and whatever you say is the gospel truth and Mm. i'm just going to do what you tell me what to do you know and and so it's it's on the patient too to to be informed Ask questions. Ask, ask questions. questions. Do your homework. Do your if, homework. And if your doctor or whoever you're seeing, it should be a doctor, but whoever you're seeing, if they don't do a proper physical exam right. and hear your story, do an exam and do some imaging, mm-hmm. you should leave. Um, you know, I hear your story. I already know what's going on. Yeah. I do a physical exam to support that. Yeah. theory I do diagnostic ultrasound to support that theory we'll do diagnostic injections to support that after all of that we're golden mm-hmm. we know what we're doing right. and if your doctor doesn't do that go somewhere else and a big yeah. issue on the patient side too is the insurance model like mm-hmm. it yeah. takes yes. now what three to three months to a year to get in to see somebody yeah. you've already invested that time and now you are like, oh, I can't, like, I don't want to waste more time going to find another mm. doctor. Yeah, that's true. That opinion. is true. So, right. I mean, yeah. we run into that all the time, oh, and yeah. personally. Or, or you just stop looking because you don't trust anybody stop looking. Yeah. 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 You get dissuaded You've immediately. You've been burned. And, like, also, like, the types of, even if they are using ultrasound, what type of system are they, are they using? Not yeah. all systems yeah. are the same. That's true. There's a lot that get into it for the first time, and they might go by cost of that system to get but then they're not going to have the resolution to be able to actually diagnose certain things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah, there are three there are three questions for for all you patients out here and everyone could be a patient at some point. So for anyone right. interested in this stuff, uh, three questions you should ask your provider. I'm very patient. You are very patient. There there are three there are three questions you need to ask. One is one is um, what what kit or or are you using? And if they can't answer that, go somewhere else. Um, and if they do answer it, research it yourself to see what exactly you're getting. Number two is, uh, are you using image guidance? And ultrasound is best, uh, but fluoroscopy can be used as another image guidance for, for a lot of joint injections. Um, it's not as good for soft tissue. And then um, uh, three, probably the most important, is what structures are you treating? Mm-hmm. So where are you putting the the injections? And if they just say, oh, we're putting in the joint, it's going to leak into where it needs to go or it's it going to go where it needs to go. It knows where to go. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's when you walk out the door. It's your body's and AI. If you, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you have an MRI, and at the end of the MRI, it will summarize the multiple different injuries that you have. If they aren't listing those injuries as all the areas they're going to treat, it's not going to be a good treatment. It's not going to work. So that's good it, advice. Yeah, that's yep. really good advice. So AI doesn't mean artificial intelligence. In that case, it means like, you know, adversely performed injection. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, another interesting piece to bring up is that a lot of times, uh, you know, patients will see us, right? They'll, they'll get our opinion, and then they'll either go back to their orthopedic doctor or seek a second opinion with an orthopedic physician or orthopedic surgeon, which is perfectly fine, but you have to also ask the orthopedic surgeon the right questions. And many times our patients will say, well, you know, Dr. Wang or, you know, Dr. So-and-so suggested regenerative treatments and, you know, he feels that either the prolotherapy or PRP works. What do you think of that, you know, Dr. Orthopedic Surgeon? And unfortunately, now this is changing. A lot of orthopedic surgeons are really starting to realize the value of regenerative treatments, but many of them still will just, without even a second thought, they say, oh, that's voodoo. Or like, well, if you want to flush your money down the toilet, go ahead. Now, some of them are not necessarily that uh, you know, coarse about it. They'll say, well, there's no evidence that the regenerative treatments, uh, you know, are shown to be beneficial. Okay. Many orthopedic surgeons will say that exact phrase. So I implore the uh, folks that are seeing them to ask, well, what have you seen in your literature search? Have you done a search of uh, uh, research studies on regenerative medicine because I myself have asked this question of many orthopedic surgeons that tell me, hey, you know, there's no evidence behind that. And I said, well, have you looked? And it's like, well, no, but my understanding is that the research is just not there. They haven't even looked for the research and they claim that there's no evidence. Right. And this happens all the evidence. time, yeah, all the time. Most orthopedic surgeries have do not evidence. have level one evidence. Only so, one out of so, the top 10 yeah, so those well, are basically surgeries in orthopedics has has level one evidence only one, so and that's carpal tunnel release. Everything yeah. else, there's wow. that's all investigation. Wow. What? That's so now we're on the right. same playing field. Right. Wow. It's not even right. the same playing field. There's actually it's more even, level one yeah. evidence for regenerative therapies for, for different diagnoses in orthopedic surgery. Yeah. See, that's why yeah. we have Dr. Wang here. Yeah. For not just his <laughs> jokes, but his yeah. intellect. Yeah. It's not artificial. It's not artificial. He is real, real, real. Well, AI, right here. We're going to put the, the car back on the road here because we're right. running out of time. Oh, and shoot. we don't want to miss out on um, the last two techniques, which are the bone marrow and lipoaspirate. So maybe, maybe we can touch on that quickly if we could touch on that and talk about where that comes into play, why you would recommend that, and then maybe just a quick little guide for patients who's who have been told they need that. So so there's, there's in a nutshell, for, for joint symptoms – you know, prolotherapy takes care of your your mild to moderate symptoms. PRP your, or hangs out around the moderate, and then we get into your your adipose and bone marrow for things that are more severe. So arthritis in general is graded uh, one to four. It's not a very sophisticated system, but it, but it's been uh, reliable. And um, so grade three, four is basically bone on bone, so to speak. So grade three is kind of the sweet spot for these uh, tissues that are rich in stem cells, bone marrow and, and adipose, which is fat. Um, uh, that's kind of the sweet spot for them. But there's been a lot of evidence that it works on grade four, and it also works really well on grade two as, as well. Um, so that kind of grade two to grade four is where we want to use it. So the moderate to severe... Um, arthritis when, when you have a lot more going on. Um, sometimes we try PRP and it doesn't work, um, but more often we're, we're nowadays we're, we're seeing the patients and we're, we're saying, hey, listen, this is beyond PRP. Your choice is either a joint replacement or a uh, adipose of bone marrow treatment. And, and in other cases for, say, wrist arthritis, uh, thumb arthritis, 
um, areas where they don't have a good option, uh, where joint replacement hasn't been developed or, or isn't, uh, isn't well utilized, the only other option is either cortisone injections until it's, there's nothing left or uh, doing a, a stem cell rich tissue treatment uh, such as bone marrow or adipose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, severity, mm-hmm. proximity. Like if someone's coming here from Colorado or yep. or L.A., which happens a lot, um, we're not going to do a bunch of PRP. We're going to hit it hard. Also, like you said, severity of the arthritis, but also a tendon or a ligament issue that has a huge defect mm-hmm. in it mm-hmm. and as a whole. So that's where the diagnostic injection under ultrasound comes into play because I do these on every single patient before I treat. Um, I want to see what that tissue does in response to fluid. So if I inject that tissue and it opens up and I start seeing my fluid injectate swirl around, I'm thinking more I need a tissue. I need a graft. So I'm thinking probably fat. Yep. I also have told patients you don't need fat or Mm -hmm. bone marrow. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. not not only when do you use it, when do you not use it, right? So... Let's say, we'll pick on knees because that's huge. Um, someone comes in for their knee pain and their arthritis. Someone calls and says, I've got bone on bone. What can you do for me? I'm not scared. We treat that all the time. But i got to examine them. Yeah. So what is, their, what is their alignment like? Do they have a huge valgus deformity? Are they lacking 20, 30 degrees of extension? Then you got to have a real conversation with these people. You know, yeah, we can do this stuff, but... This is going to be the likely outcome, and are you okay? Are you okay with not having your range of motion back? Because we're not getting that back. Prolotherapy, PRP, bone marrow, BMAC, or uh, bone marrow, adipose. These are great procedures, but they're not silver bullets, and they don't. They're not a That's miracle. Right. They don't treat everything. So you got to have a doc who's okay saying this is not for you. You need. You actually do need a replacement, but. We got to examine the patient. We got to see what's going on. Absolutely right. So one question I had. Uh, oh, wait, sorry. Really quick before you say that, hold that thought. Just to play devil's advocate, there is Dr. Topal mm-hmm. in Argentina mm-hmm. ah. who did dextrose prolotherapy, a single intraarticular injection for arthritis. It was a great study because they had tissue. They actually did staining and did biopsies correct um and they have great outcomes the the kicker is they didn't classify their um their grades of arthritis so they had level one or grade one to four so you're getting great outcomes with dextrose prolotherapy with a grade four so we get i mean we get thrown for loops all the time so Again, you got to trust your doc and have a conversation. Yep. Yeah, I get can, surprised all the time. Right. You can have grade four arthritis. And, you know, we've known for since the 1970s that you cannot correlate necessarily uh, radiographic evidence of graded arthritis with symptoms. You can have a grade four arthritis and have relatively mild symptoms. You mm-hmm. can have a grade one arthritis and have horrible symptoms. Mm-hmm. 
probably because of the soft tissue contributions, right? And so you can have dextrose prolotherapy that can potentially have a positive effect on grade four arthritis. Uh, I think it's going to be the minority of grade four arthritis conditions, yeah. but that can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Dr. Tabal has done some some remarkable research. By the way, I, I just saw him at AOM. He still looks like he's twenty years old, man. I mean, the guy's like he's PRP he's in the, the face, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> no Botox. It yeah, better yeah, not be yeah. Botox. He's doing PRP. It better be face. PRP yeah. facial. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, one question I think that uh, is important to discuss is this idea about the difference between true cellular treatments where we're harvesting the appropriately bone marrow and adipose from the individual versus these so-called stem cell treatments these or these orthobiologic treatments that, you know, it's like stem cell in a bottle, right? Are they really stem cells? Are they not? Uh, you know, Dr. Siddiqui, you, you, yeah. you lecture on this uh, Are they regularly. viable? Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Are they so, contaminated? So what, what, what can we say about this? Because this is a very important point. So, <laughs> so first things first, in the United States, to be able to use a off-the-shelf product that is a biologic it needs to be FDA approved as a drug. And to my understanding, there's still no single product out there that is FDA approved to be injected into a joint or your soft tissue. And therefore it is illegal in the United States, but still there are, there are many, many practitioners who are doing this, okay? But so first things first, it's, it's illegal. Um, second thing is one of the reasons why it's illegal is this, this false advertising and marketing mm -hmm. that's going on. And it, and it is industry-based, and these, like we said, these, these, uh, these drug reps are coming to physician offices and touting their their uh, injection or whatever they're they're promoting as the as a stem cell treatment that's going to fix all their patients, and it's easy to do because you just pop the bottle off, put it in a syringe, and inject it, and you can charge thousands of dollars, often tens of thousands of dollars right. for these treatments, and so. Uh, the dollar signs are lighting up in these these uh, uh, doctors' heads, and they're they're doing it. And um, you know, first things first, these these are not um, uh, uh, stem cell treatments. They had stem cells at at one time, but by the time it gets from the donor, which is usually umbilical cord blood during during uh, uh, delivery of babies, uh, to the patient, it's going through processing freezing, thawing, multiple different things, those cells are all dead. Um, and so um, by the time it gets to you, there are really no stem cells left. There are growth factors, and there are growth hormones in there. Exosome. Exosome, so it could be beneficial. Um, and before when we used this, before the FDA cracked down, we were getting good benefits, similar to more so a PRP. Yeah, yeah about PRP level. Not a I stem agree. cell. It's not as strong as a bone marrow. So or extremely adipose. expensive PRP. So basically Correct. extremely expensive yeah. PRP. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was talking with um, a new graduate recently from residency, got into the regenerative medicine world, and he was a little cocky, and he does the pop the bottle, insert needle, inject in the joint, and he's like, oh, yeah, patients love it. And he told me how much they charge, and I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, they love it. They keep coming back. <laughs> That's not a good sign. And exactly. I was <laughs> like, why do they keep coming back? Yeah. Like it's some kind of cult. Obviously you're not getting them better. What's going on over there? <laughs> yep. You're giving you're giving them some growth factors and and anti inflammatory cytokines, make them feel better for three months, maybe a year, and then yeah. they're back to square one. Yep. Well yeah. it's something else. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 So 
Well, this has been very, very um, good discussion. And I think not only for the medical providers listening, but but also for the patients, yeah. because this is information that is not widely known and really needs to be known. So um, I really appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, I think we're running out of time. Yeah. We could go on and on and on. I was on. just about to Gosh. say that. You had to cut us I know, off. at yeah. some point. Because we yeah. can talk about this We have this dinner reservations hours. to make. We have dinner reservations. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> but we really, really enjoy um, having you here. And we, we so much enjoy working with all of you. And this was awesome. And I hope that all of our listeners really enjoy this because I think this is very useful information. I wish we could do this more often Yeah. because really I think a big part of this too is patient education. We can. We We should do this more often. Yeah, we need Yeah, you're right upstairs, you know. We're here. I know, you're right. The the reason that we... mm, I'm I'm a humble guy, but I'm going to sound not humble for a second. (laughs) The reason that we are so good at what we do, we owe a lot of that to Gulf Coast. If, if I did not have the ultrasound skills that I learned at Gulf Coast and Dr. Wang and Dr. Siddiqui mm-hmm. and Dr. Victor Ibrahim mm-hmm. and everyone who came before us, we wouldn't be where we are. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Aww. Yep. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. Yep. Great. Yeah. It's, it's a continuously learning experience, right? Mm-hmm. You never stop learning. As soon as you think you know it all, you're in trouble. As soon as you think you know it all, you get a rash of patients coming in back to back to prove you wrong. Exactly. <laughs> all like, I heard was you get a rash. You get, like, <laughs> you get a really bad You rash. get like three or four patients in a row with some weird stuff, and you're like, I don't know nothing. It'll put some humility back yeah. in you. <laughs> you got that right. Well, we call it the practice of medicine for a reason. We're practicing. <laughs> Science. We're and always practicing. We're never going to get like perfected at it, right? Right. Right. It's not perfect. Right. And it's never going to be perfect. Until yeah. AI takes over, right? Just yeah. like everything else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Until what? Until AI takes over everything. Right? Yeah, AI is going the world. Yeah. <laughs> no, for real. No, it's always um, such an experience to sit down with you guys and hear you. Yeah. And every time I'm in a room with you guys, I'm like, oh, wow, I just, you're, you're so passionate about what you do and you're such great patient advocates. And I just wish everybody could have a doctor like you guys yeah, because so I know there's so many people out there who are just desperate for answers. So, you know, all I say to our listeners is go out there and find a doctor who will have these discussions with you and aren't going to dismiss you and blow you off and will actually engage in conversation with you and not just tell you that you're crazy or that they that this is how we do it and they don't want to explain why. Exactly. You know, they should be willing to sit down and engage with you. Advocate yep. for you. Yeah. Better yet, educate yourself. Go visit just one go of these three guys. guys. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we, we, we won't have to worry over. about it. <laughs> and if, you know, and they know it, what you know, they're doing. Yes, obviously. Come see us. We're amazing. But, <laughs> There's but if, you're not, again. if you're not near us, just call us and we might know somebody in your area that we can point you to. Right. Because you do know a lot of people. We do know a lot right. of people. Casey's Absolutely. got something. Hold We'd on. rather see you see somebody good than some bobo out yep. there. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, you know, I know a guy. I know, I know a guy. guy. <laughs> <laughs> or a gal. <laughs> or a guy. That being said, where can everybody find you guys? Right. Yeah. yeah. For us, come to our website. I'm sure the same thing for you, Dr. Broussard. Uh, Dr. Wang and I work for Regenerative Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, ROSM.org. Uh, um, look us up. We have a lot of patient information on there. Yeah, you do. Um, the educational materials, research articles. Um, you know, we've we've multiple locations throughout the DMV area, uh, the DC, Maryland, Virginia, 
And um, but yeah, come to our website and yeah, feel free to call us up. Well, if 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 you call up and ask, you know, who's good and so and so part of the United States, we'll we'll uh, we'll figure it out for you. Yeah, yeah. you've got a great Facebook page too. Yeah, and John. Good. Yeah. So um, this is John here, Bruce Hart, uh, Alliance Regen and Rehab. Uh, our website is www.thealliancerx, like a prescription dot com. Uh, you can visit our website. You can call us. Uh, our phone number is on there. If you are in Florida, um, we are a great place to stop. Or if you are in driving distance to an airport, we're also a great place <laughs> to stop. Um, it's worth it. It's worth it. Uh, no, we love you guys. We just want the best thing for you. Uh, yep. You don't have to get treatment with us. Just don't do something stupid. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, We are very blessed to be able to work with the best of the best. And these Absolutely. guys and all of our faculty that we work with are the top experts. So, you know, we're happy to help you out as well if you can't find somebody in your Yeah, you area. can always come to our website, gcus.com. Right. We'll exactly. get you hooked up. We'll get you going. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, as always, it's uh, just a remarkable privilege to have a chance to work with your team. Aww, so, thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, it's always a good time, and your level of expertise is uh, continues to amaze me. Aww. So thank you so thank much you. for the opportunity. Thank you very much. Yep. Yeah. All right, to our loyal listeners, we really appreciate you guys. We wouldn't be what we are without you, so thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sonography Lounge. Don't forget, if you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, at Sonography Lounge, and Twitter, at Sonography LMG. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, feel free to send an email to us at sonographylounge at gmail.com. Have a great week and scan, scan, scan.